0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Recursive Podcast. Our next guest is a bold dreamer. When Martin Vechev graduated computer science from Cambridge University, he dreamt of creating a world-class research center in his homeland, Bulgaria. Today, his dream is a reality. Martin is the architect of the Institute for Computer Science, Artificial Intelligence, and Technology, called INSIGHT, in Sofia. The Deep Tech Institute was created in collaboration with two of the leading uh, tech universities in the world, in Zürich and uh, Lausanne. It is supported by tech giants like Google, Amazon, DeepMind, the Bulgarian government, Bulgarian company Sideground, and also local entrepreneurs. Martin Vechev combines several unique talents. He is a tech entrepreneur, a professor at ETH Zürich and an award-winning researcher. His efforts in the field of building secure and fair artificial intelligence. He has co-founded three startups in the area of safe AI, blockchain security, AI for code. He has exited two of them successfully. And today we want to take a look inside his mind. Martin, welcome to the Recursive Podcast.
1: Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.
0: You have been in the news lately quite a lot. We have read interviews with you, we know a bit about your story, but somehow I think for uh, especially the local community, your personality still remains a bit elusive. (laughs) And this is why today uh, we invited you to talk a bit more about your path so far, how it all started here in Sofia, but uh, continued all around the world. So I'm going to, I don't know, uh, do an experiment with you and throw you back a lot in time back to <laughs> back to your childhood here in sofia i read that uh, your mother was a musician and she actually wanted you for also to become a musician how did it go
1: right my uh, mother is a, a musician in piano she's mm-hmm. uh, she's been doing it for many years she used to teach at the bulgarian uh, music conservatory in mm-hmm. sofia and uh, later she um, Finish her doctorate, PhD, in Moscow Conservatory. Um, so, yeah, I was playing piano since I was small because, uh, for obvious reasons.
0: <laughs> since you were four.
1: Since I was uh, yeah. four, uh, so I played for about four years, um, okay. so a couple hours a day, uh, with the intention of becoming uh, a professional pianist. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, uh, in uh, around grade three, uh, when we moved to Russia, actually, I, I lived three years in Russia three years and a bit in Russia, and there uh, I actually started playing cello. Uh, so I, I did piano for four years, and then I did three and a half, four years also of cello.
2: Okay.
1: Uh, so different instruments, uh, different ambitions of the, of the parents.
0: <laughs> well, I guess becoming a musician uh, requires a lot of resilience and, and also a lot of persistence. Uh, so it probably develops certain talents that you uh, could make use later on, do you think that somehow music and maths have something in common?
1: Well, I think what I got out of the music, so I think we need to be precise in the sense that many people say they play music, but it depends how long you've played it and in which way you've played it, right? So I played it quite seriously and I think if you're doing something, uh, whatever you're doing, you need, to, you need to commit to this and do it seriously. So I think if, you, if you're involved with music for a long period of time, seriously, like playing a few hours a day. Uh, you learn a lot, so you learn of course discipline consistency you know in music what 's very interesting is that if you make a mistake, uh, everybody can hear it, even people who are not musicians they can they can notice that something is off with the sound, uh, and so you kind of learn that you can, you kind of get aware of this this fact uh, so be careful you know how how, how you how you do things <laughs> uh, but in terms of when i when I switched more to mathematics in grade seven, what I found was. In some sense, I didn't like music so much, uh, so that's why I was looking for something else. Uh, mm-hmm. um, and when I switched to math, what I found out was that math was actually easier for me. And the reason was that this effect of when you're doing something, and when everybody uh, gets noticed that you did that, like pl- playing an incorrect sound, you cannot see it in math. You, you solve a problem, but if you, if you cannot solve it, you can try again. Nobody's like looking at you all the time, how, what mistakes you're making. So math, in some sense, was kind of you can work at peace without people hearing or looking at you all the time what you're doing. Okay. So in that sense, it was uh, it was very liberating. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I always thought that math requires you also to be very precise and not to make mistakes. But
1: uh... Yeah, math requires you to be precise and both require you to be precise. But math, uh, you can focus over a long period of time, solve a problem, and nobody's looking over your shoulder while you're solving it. Mm-hmm, while in music, <laughs> when you're solving it, when you're learning, everybody can hear.
2: <laughs> I
1: see. So this is did, interesting.
0: Did you have uh, some kind of like a role? Rolling... But of
1: course, in math, also mm. one of the big things uh, in music is you need to focus. Over a long period of time, playing some pieces like etudes, which are mm-hmm. not super pleasant, uh, just mechanically so that you can learn the movements. And so if you do that as a kid over kind of a long period of time, you learn to uh, you learn to do things which may not be so pleasant, but that help you. So that was something in music I think that I learned well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think you learned discipline in the hard way. <laughs> yes, in the hard
1: way, yes. <laughs> but, uh, <clears throat>
0: but yeah, math can be actually quite... Uh, Quite pleasant. I always had this moment also when I was at school. Um, so my, my parents are both mathematicians, and uh, math was an important topic at home. Mm-hmm. And I think this is why I got a bit of pressure uh, when I was a bit uh, younger. But I still really much enjoyed coming after school and then solving, you know, all my homework. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of a meditative state. Uh, state now I'm. I'm a bit sorry that I didn't continue on this path <laughs> looking at <laughs> people like you. Uh, definitely, you're an inspiration. Tell me, was there um, or some kind of role model or a mentor that you had for the world of math?
1: Mm. For the world of math? So, I would say my biggest role model when I was growing up in the area of uh, just the exact sciences, like mm. uh, computer science or informatics, was my uncle. Uh, He was a scientist, Uh, he worked here in Bulgaria, also specialized outside Bulgaria. And later he created a very successful company in Bulgaria. Mm -hmm. So I grew up with him, uh, talking about these themes, talking about these topics. Uh, So ever since I was fairly young, let's say around grade 7 maybe, I would hear those stories around these uh, kinds of uh, world-class institutes like the Livermore Labs or the Xerox mm. Park or the IBM Watson Research Center and what they do and what great things they do. And so I was kind of always dreaming to to be in those places. So first time I went actually to uh, IBM T.J. Watson Research, where I worked as a first as an intern, then as a researcher. When I started my PhD, I actually uh, took you know, hundreds of pictures. I couldn't believe that I was there because I had heard about those places since I was uh, very small.
0: Mm. But <clears throat> you chose computer science. Right. Were you were you actually good at math, or were you better at programming? Is there a difference in mm-hmm. the skills that you need
1: from I, your perspective? I, was, I liked math. Uh, I was good at good at it uh, for what what I needed. Uh, I actually focused mostly on math when I was in high school mm-hmm. uh, in the Sofia math high school. Um, I really liked that, uh, but I was also exposed to the tech world from my from my uncle. I mm-hmm. met a lot of the people, what they were doing. I would, I would look at them. They were, you know, uh, 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 writing these programs. I would look at them. I remember going there. I couldn't understand what these guys are doing, but it looked like magic.
2: <laughs> really? I was like,
1: wow, these guys are so good. I always wanted to work with them. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I, I don't know how to do this. Um, and then, um, so I focused mostly on math. And then in the university, I kind of, you know, switched to uh, computer science more.
0: At what stage did you had a, a grasp of what technology could do for the world? And uh, I don't know how it will basically transform the way that we live entirely. I think <laughs> back then in the days maybe we couldn't really grasp the potential impact of
1: You know, you know tech. when I was a small kid we used to go and play video games uh in my uncle's lab in mm-hmm. Technical University of Sofia with my cousin, his son actually. And they actually built computers. They built like a computer, they built the software so you'd look at those things and I couldn't believe it, so this looks so formidable, so huge, so, oh, man, this is something big, it's like amazing. And so it stayed in my mind at that point that this could be really, really very uh, game-changing somehow. And But mostly for the people, not for like the, the impact of the technology on the world, mostly okay. getting inspired by the people looking at those people wanting to be like mm-hmm. them. This, I think, was definitive for me. Uh, only later, Maybe after, you know, the last year of university, you'd see, oh, okay, this can be, you know, Mm -hmm. dot-com boom or whatever uh, at that time, or just working on projects. Then you'd say, oh, maybe, you know, this can be game-changing here Mm -hmm. and there. Mm -hmm.
0: What was your favorite video game back then? Do you remember? My favorite
1: video game back then was The Digger. (laughs) The
0: Digger. (laughs) (laughs) Later on, you moved to Canada.
1: I moved to Canada, yes, when I was 17 Mm -hmm. for a few years. I did my undergraduate there undergraduate degree Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Uh, and then I in computer science and a bit of math as well Did a lot of math courses Mm -hmm. Uh, and then but still see that dream when I wanted to work with those people I mentioned you in my uncle's lab specific people that was always my goal not not to be in Canada so around two three years into my bachelor I I got an offer to work in Sofia with those people okay and I couldn't believe it because my uncle said, hey you know want to work with Peter Peter was the name of the guy, Peter Petro, who's an amazing, amazing person. I, I, I thought these guys are gods. Like, I couldn't believe I would go to work with them. So they say, you know, come to Sofia. That was 1999. <laughs> in August, I remember when I came. I say, you know, work with them. And I, uh, I say, of course I'll come. I'll take a year, I would a semester off from the, from the university in Canada. Wow. So, I, I, you know, I met that guy. I was like, wow, this guy is not finally real. <laughs> And then that was, that was the big change for me also. I was what, very, did,
0: what did you learn by working so close with, uh, with this kind of people, with this kind of oh, people. lots of
1: things. I mean, independence, technical, they're amazing people. Technically, you know, here mm-hmm. in Bulgaria, uh, he was a great mentor for me. I learned a lot from him. Just technically would work on like, you know, hardcore stuff like writing, operating systems, virtual machines, mm-hmm. you know, debuggers, you know, really, really hardcore software mm-hmm. building from the ground up. Um, They were creating boards like, you know, uh, hardware boards, and you'd get exposed, you know, to the whole range, the whole technical range of computing. And this was from the ground up, and this was very valuable for me, starting from the ground up, building up. Mm -hmm. At that point, you know, application software was just very, very kind of... um, it was considered easy in some sense because you're starting really like from the building, you know, the boards, the operating systems, then the virtual machines. And on top of that, maybe the applications, which was much easier. <laughs> so I started in that culture, mm-hmm. which I think was great for me. Uh, gave, gave you a lot of grounding, technical grounding.
0: It's actually kind of surprising for someone who then later on followed... Um continued uh, an, uh, an academic path uh-huh. because you took a break from university yeah. to go to work yeah. uh, for amazing people in yeah. Bulgaria and yeah. Sofia.
1: <laughs> that was my dream, to go yeah. to work with those people. And uh, actually, at that time, when I was in Canada, I was making a lot of money uh, doing websites. Uh, okay. Uh, my mom was wondering if I'm doing something else because you get <laughs> checks like $2,000 a week or something. And then, uh, you know, my, my, my uncle told me, you know, come work with those people. So I, uh, people, I dropped everything. Mm-hmm. And I asked, well, how much money I'm going to make here in Sofia, right? Uh, I said, well, you're going to be making like 150 euro, you know, 300 leva a month.
0: Oh, my I said, God.
1: <laughs> I said, but can I keep my other job to make more money? He said, no, no, you need to focus. So I dropped everything and I was working nonstop with this person. And then mm-hmm. I did that, came back to Canada, finished my degree. And then I came back to Bulgaria for another two years working
0: mm-hmm. with him. But you, before that, you had some other weird jobs. I mean, I, I, well, I, I,
1: worked, I worked all kinds of jobs in Canada to make yeah. money.
0: Tell me, what, what, what is the weirdest <laughs> job that you had in
1: Canada? Uh, it was, uh, you know, from delivering newspapers uh, <laughs> and dogs chasing after you, to uh, <laughs> cooking chocolate, to, uh, you know, carrying boxes at the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when, when I was like a teenager, te- uh, 17, 18, I used to do these things mm-hmm. to make money, to pay for the university. We didn't have any money.
0: So you didn't necessarily grow up with a silver spoon in oh, your mouth. No, no. <laughs> 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 I see. Okay. Mm- you came back, you finished university, you're undergraduate, mm. at what stage did you decide that you're going to follow the academic path? And...
1: Oh, actually, when I did my last year, you know, when I, when I did my uh, university degree in Canada, uh, I, uh, I really didn't want to do PhD or graduate work. You know, professors would ask me, hey, you want to do PhD? You're doing well. I say no, no, no! I definitely don't want to do this. I, I, you know, those guys are spending time—you know—spending time writing papers, doing all kinds of useless things. I really want to build systems. I want to be an engineer. So mm-hmm. I definitely don't want to be doing this. So uh, I say no. I, I'm coming back to Bulgaria. i I'm going to work with Peter. And People are like, "What
0: is, it? What is this guy talking <laughs> 300
1: about? level but a yeah. month. <laughs> so I, I, but it was a great decision for me. Mm-hmm. You know, following the passion and following what you where you can learn the most. So I didn't care whether it's like. You know, Bulgaria, whether it's like Canada or whatever, it's like I, I thought that in Bulgaria with this guy I can learn a lot and this was true, it mm-hmm. was not just him, it was the entire team there, amazing people, um, and uh, I came back and I, I learned a lot, and, but of course we were working on, with Peter and, and, uh, and the company, we were working on very technical projects, very technical projects, and I was reading a lot of papers. Like, we were building at that time a Java virtual machine, for instance. We built the okay. first Java virtual, you know, the thing that runs Java. Mm-hmm. So everything from the ground up. Making it work on different platforms like ARM, like the digital signal processors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, hardcore hardcore building stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I found out when I was doing this is... Uh, I had a lot of technical holes to fill because you start reading scientific papers because you know you have to take the idea and then implement it you know make it work and uh, so this was around 2001 to 2003 Um, I said well you know I was hitting some of these problems and I was reading some of these things I was like I have no clue what the heck these guys are talking about in these papers no idea how am I going to implement this. And then i was reading lots of paper had a desk like this of scientific papers when i was still an engineer mm-hmm. and i say hey look i mean i i really want to deepen my knowledge uh and then i decided to do the phd that I way see. so it was really more of like uh <laughs> on a need on a need to to learn basis again just like i came from canada to bulgaria to get my engineering skills higher to learn these fundamental things like in engineering um the same way i wanted to like uh
2: mm-hmm.
1: and i had a pretty good life in bulgaria frankly at that time uh, but you know, then I went to to the UK to Cambridge to do my PhD. And Tell me
0: about good. Cambridge. How, <laughs> I mean, I think this is like one of those institutions that we know from mostly from the movies, uh, and we have this romantic um, idea of how it is yeah. to be at campus and yeah. you know to have these amazing people there yeah. living next to you.
2: Uh-huh.
0: How did it feel for you? How was it? Tell me about the first. You know, time when that you I went Cambridge. to Cambridge,
1: I wanted to when I left the company, where I was doing a very interesting work. I think, honestly, at that time, and maybe even still, it's one of the most interesting works you can do in Bulgaria. In fact, some of the people I work with there at this point now are directors in big companies in Bulgaria. Uh, Some of them went very high positions abroad. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a big decision to leave. Um, And when I went to Cambridge, I went with the idea to go to one of these research labs that my had told me. I said, look, I'm going to learn stuff, but then I'm going, to, um, I'm going to get some results out, publish some papers so I can get positions in those research labs, like the that's IBM a- Watson Center <laughs> or like the Livermore or like Microsoft Research and those places. Go to a research labs where you can do research and engineering together, that was what I wanted to do. And So when I went to Cambridge, I, um, I told my advisor, my professor, I said, hey, you know, that's my goal. That's what I want to do. And then he said, well, good luck, you know, have fun. <laughs> <laughs> say, well give me the topic and then I'm gonna work on this topic, I'm gonna get those papers and I'm gonna go and fulfill my goals, right? Mm-hmm. I said, no, that's not that's not how it works, my friend. You know, that that's not how it works. You have to come up with a topic yourself. I said, Well, I have to go I said, but I don't know anything about this topic, so how should I, I say, I don't know, like you should read and you should think and so it was very shocking to me the first two, three months, there, three, four months there. It was really just uh, sink or swim, as they say in the lab there.
0: So you don't <clears throat> get the problem served but you have to find it yourself. Yeah, you have to
1: def- find so it you yourself. So you have to
0: learn to ask the right questions. Yes, right?
1: you have to. You have to. You know, it's kind of like the movie Beautiful Mind. The guy is like thinking about. <laughs> and so I was sitting there, you know, sit all day. and Say, what should I work on? And say, well, I'm reading this from that, from this. Problem. I say, I, I, and then I, you know, I had read like hundreds of papers. And I remember, like four months in, I came back to Bouguer, and I was talking to Peter, you know, in the company for two weeks. I say, he said, "What you're working on?" I said, "I don't know." I'm just I'm just thinking what to work on. He said, okay. <laughs> you know, wow. So I'm sitting all day in this lab and I'm reading papers, I'm thinking what problem to solve. So I say, oh, this is an interesting problem. And then I look it up and people have solved it. And then I look at this problem, and so people have solved it. They say, Well, what am I? And so um, then I learned that a lot about you know work class work in general is about problem definition, not about problem solving. Problem mm-hmm. solving is there, but problem definition is so so important. But you learn it the hard way. And then, uh, and then, of course, time went on. Uh, you know, in that same group, actually, Bjorn Strostrup had done his PhD, the guy who invented C++, right? And mm-hmm. actually, next to me was uh, Eben Upton. He, is the, he was one of the, well, the creator of Raspberry Pi, if you've mm-hmm. heard about this, right? Mm-hmm. So they were all there. And, uh, and, and you also see, like, people doing great. They're, like, working on papers. Like, what are they doing? it's like, oh, I'm producing these great papers. I was like, man, what am I doing? I'm just reading papers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what am I going to do here? And then and then at some point, you know, it's a defining moment because many people quit, you know, that's what people don't see. It's a very high-pressure environment with really smart people, you know, some of the best people in the world are there um, thinking about problems. You know, and LAB, which is like, you know, constantly like this, you know, working basically all day, all night, you know, see you just in this environment. It's not like 9 to 5 job. You go in the morning, people are there working. You go in the evening at 12 o'clock, people are there working um
0: it sounds almost a bit obsessive like in the beautiful mind
1: (laughs) it is is very upset those places are really Owen. you cannot do this without being Owen, like hardcore in uh and then uh at some point yeah so Cambridge was like this um and at some point I, I kind of relaxed about it I said look maybe I'm just not gonna come up with anything they're just gonna kick me out in a year I'm just gonna you know Uh, Go back to (laughs) Sofia.
0: So you accepted your failure. I
1: said, look, I mean, yeah, I I said, look, I mean, this is just, uh, how am I going to come up with some great... And and, you know, and the thing is, I would come up with a problem and say, hey, I finally found something. I can write a paper about this. You know, and the advisor would say, you know, this is a, this is a good enough result, but not for Cambridge. So think
0: <laughs> <laughs> So after how long uh, of thinking? How long? How much About
1: time? five, six months. So after five, five or six, six months, months of yeah.
0: thinking, you came up with a problem. I came up with a problem, but it wasn't good enough for Cambridge.
1: I came up. I constantly came up with some problems, but they were not good enough. They okay. said, "No, this is good. Said, How is it not good enough?" like, And then, and then at some point, I came up. I relaxed. I said, "Look, just, just relax. You know, there is a." You need to, I think that's a very important thing I learned there. And later on, you need to embrace chaos. You need to embrace non-determinism. You know, the fact that it's so undefined, that it's so unclear what to do. You're thinking about a problem. You're entering into the gray cloud where you don't know what you're doing. You need to embrace and you need to relax mm-hmm. and to think systematically in this chaos. And then I did that and uh, I came up with a good problem. And then mm-hmm. that, was, that was it. And then it, it took off from there.
0: I liked what you said, embracing chaos. Uh, just recently, I was uh, reading something about it that uh, in life uh, it is a very important moment. Uh, it's a moment of maturation where you actually accept this chaos <laughs> yes. in the world, inside you. And right. I think for someone who is coming from exact sciences, this can be very challenging. It's very challenging. I, I'm not entirely in exact uh, sciences, I've never been a scientist, but. Growing up with mathematicians, there was a very clear structure between right and wrong mm-hmm. and what we do and what we don't right. do. And I studied then actually, um, how do you call them, human science, mm-hmm. uh, science, social, st- science. Uh, social studies, social right. studies in, in Austria. And that was a shock for me because, okay, I'm starting with one theory and it's, it sounds actually very plausible. Mm-hmm. And then you move to the next one and this sounds very also very pl- mm-hmm. plausible. And then you have this pluralism of <laughs> theories. And like, okay, but you have to tell me which is the theory which, <laughs> which you're going to, yeah. uh, to work with. And it was very confusing. How can it be that you have so many perspectives? And the uh, same happened to me in life. So I guess accepting this kind of chaos and mm-hmm. find yours, finding your, yourself in it mm-hmm. can be a very maturing moment. Yes. So you had it... How old were you back then? Uh, twenty-five, twenty-six. Okay. At some point, you probably found uh, your problem yeah. that was good enough. Yeah, good enough. Okay. <laughs> you uh, successfully also graduated at Cambridge. Yes. What happened then?
1: Well, then I, I, you know, during the during the PhD, uh, I, during the, you know, doctoral studies, mm-hmm. I again had this thing in my head, I want to go to these labs. <laughs> so I, was like, I want to go to the labs. So I contacted those people when I was, you know, people do internships one day, PhD students. I okay. contacted those people. And for my amazement, in this particular lab where I really wanted to go, this person replied. His name is David Bacon. He's, he's now at Google, one of the highest uh, paid mm-hmm. employees at Google. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, 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 he was at IBM research at that time, in you know, Watson research. And he replied, he said, Hey, you, in an internship. Uh, you know, come over in the summer. Let's work together. I couldn't believe Wow. I said, what the... so what, so
0: what was so special about your email? What, 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 do you think? I, I don't remember.
1: I just said, you know, I'm a PhD student in Cambridge. I want to work with you mm-hmm. and I have some ideas mm-hmm. and, and then he said, okay, let's start working now. And we actually started working right away and he made me an offer, um, and then I then I went for an internship at IBM Research mm-hmm. uh, that year. The first year, actually, in my PhD. And then I, I did a bunch of internships there, you know, things progressed. And this is why I said, like, also about the institute and so on, you know, all of the people I grew up with, you know, kind of uh, academic friends and, and uh, buddies at that time, and the connections for Cambridge, and then the labs, you know, when you go to IBM Research at that time, you would have, as an intern, uh, you get... All the best students, PhD students in the world are there. You know, you'd have 60, 70 interns from like MIT and Stanford mm-hmm. and so on. And all these guys now are, you know, professors or like directors of the research centers. And so I know I met many of them there at that time. We'll be together, you know, living in the same house, doing research together. And you're know, just some amazing people, you know. And I think in these places, you know, Cambridge or IBM, you know, interacting with these people, you always see people who are extremely good in one thing. And no matter how hard you work, you're never gonna be like this. Uh, okay. But you have your own things, you know. You know you're good at those things, and so you have no choice when you go to these places to kind of learn to work with people, because okay. they're just really good at this. You're really good at that, and then you, you know, you kind of work to uh, learn to work together. And this was also very useful building uh, building building up experience for me, being in the center, you know, seeing now the researchers on the other side. Mm-hmm. And so I finished there. Uh, did a bunch of internships, Cambridge, of course, a PhD. And, uh, and, then I, and then I was like, well, uh, I actually had, when I finished the PhD, I had academic uh, interviews at, you know, top places for My PhD was quite good. Uh, and I had this uh, top uh, academic interviews around the world. And I, and, and, and I said, no, I'm not going to go to the interviews because I want to go to IBM, DJ Watson, Research Center. I said, how can you not go? I was like, what? I said, no, 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 I can't. I want to work there. I want to work with those people. <laughs> and then I, then I went there uh, after PhD.
0: You had probably some expectations of how it is going to be. You mentioned that already your uncle was actually telling you about the
1: centers. He's never, he was never there. He had just learned about their work. He met them at conferences. And then, of course, I was an intern there, so I knew many of the people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And if you do well, you know, then you do the interviews, they make your offer, you go there.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was great. But was it... Uh uh, at the level of your expectations oh yeah,
1: yeah. or it was even yeah, it was better fantastic.
0: it was okay it was fantastic. What's, it what, was so, really what's so fantastic about this the place people. only the people. The people all
1: these things are the people you know mm-hmm. there's nothing fancy about the buildings there's nothing fancy about anything it's just you meet amazing people who are really like so good uh so do they good.
0: help you are hmm? you do you support each other do you help yeah, each other yeah. okay
1: it was, we you know at that time i met uh one of my uh very close collaborators he's actually on the supervisory board of insight around you have mm-hmm. uh you know when i was in inter had this problem and we were looking who to work with uh on this problem there and i met Aran, and i was like you know i was talking to him and this guy started disagreeing with me he's like no 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 you shouldn't do this you shouldn't do that i was like who is this guy who the heck is this guy <laughs> and then we really got along we can we can buddies we get you know very close friends and then he was there and it was an amazing group, one of the best in the world, really. Just fantastic group of researchers, and uh, you know, in this institute, there's only PhDs. People have PhDs working and interns. Mm-hmm. Amazing group, uh people who really who have changed science, computer science. You know, you, you look at the people and say, Oh, you know, this guy invented like fundamental result in computer science, he's like next door and this guy invented this and this guy you're looking I'm like, oh, I don't
0: know. <laughs> don't you feel in a way like an imposter, like I'm, I'm is my place really here?
1: Well when you go as an intern you do feel that. <laughs> you know and funny thing is when I went there I met the person, I was like, wait, you know, this is Dave Grove you know he's i was reading his papers three years ago in sofia is that him oh
0: amazing yeah. what happened to the engineer in yourself inside of you who wanted to build uh-huh.
1: stuff so i mean that was the thing about the research labs that yeah? you do science and you do engineering together okay. this is what i always wanted to do you know you you come up with the idea in the prototype and then you build it up and then you know, and so invent new science and then implement it too as an engineer. So I was doing both. So I was mm-hmm. very happy doing this
2: mm-hmm.
1: in this in this group of people together. It was wonderful, really. I think it's uh, and many of the I think leading technological figures have actually gone for IBM Watson Research Center, IBM Almaden Research, or some of the IBM research centers. Mm-hmm. It's hard to describe how good this is when it works. It's just. Uh, you, you know, you can just talk to people, come up with ideas, you know, game changing idea, ideas, basically on the fly. New mm. ideas and new ideas. Just, uh, it's great. <laughs> Fantastic place.
0: What we also know about you is that uh, you co-founded three startups, mm-hmm. three deep tech startups. Right. Two of them were already sold.
1: Uh, yes. Right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, in... in in a way, you're a very successful serial entrepreneur next to your <laughs> academic path. <Yes. laughs> um, I think this is very impressive. Uh, how, do you, how did you learn to be an entrepreneur? Because I think it is an art in itself to learn how to build a company, especially when you have this academic background. Mm-hmm. Okay, you probably learned mm-hmm. how to work on problems you probably learned also how to work in a team. Mm-hmm. But building a company is a totally different thing.
1: Right. So I think with the companies, I never pl- I, will, I never planned to do this. I never cared about creating companies. I never cared. But looking back now in retrospect, I remember uh, seeing my uncle with his company in Bulgaria, you know, how oh. things went. And I, I remember when the company started, when there were five people, of five amazing people, and then they would, you know, grow, grow, grow become bigger. So I remember, like, you know, looking it through the years. So it's kind of like you, you, you learn some of these things by osmosis, <laughs> by exposure. <laughs> but I never wanted to create companies; it was never my goal. Uh, I didn't care about this. Uh, I really, after IBM research, when I went to academia, and the reason I, why I left was because I wanted to work with students. I wanted to 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 build the. I really enjoy working with students, like with the you know smartest. You know, I think you know the, one of the best students in the world, and these talented people, and just help them, you know, develop their potential. Mm-hmm. And that was my goal in the university. I really want to do work class research with the students. I really enjoy this. I love this this process. Uh, and you know, these kids are super smart. They're all smarter than me. They're all smarter than they're just so good. Do you that, learn
0: from them as well? Of
1: course, yeah. These are like amazing people, you know. Uh, it's, you cannot not learn from them. You know, these are some of the best students in the world. They come, they have so many ideas. Uh, I, I look at myself when I was a PhD student, I was like, well, these guys are really good. <laughs> and you know, I, okay. they, they do things that you just, just I, I, would, I I couldn't do, when I was a PhD student. I was like, you know, and, and of course that's how it is. You know, they always have to get the, somebody better in certain in certain ways. I'm better in other ways, you know, I try to help them. Ideally they get much better than me, but by the time I was there, you know, mm-hmm. by the time I was 29, they get like, you know, and they are, they, are, they are great. And I love doing this, um, but I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. I just wanted to make impact for science and for the students. Now, of course, when you do certain kind of work, uh, there is opportunity for impact through the technological entrepreneurship, creating companies and impacting the world at large. And that's how the companies came about. We never created the companies to like make money or anything like that. We just said, hey, you know, this, this thing we came up with, it can impact the world, everybody. And so let's do it. Let's just create a company. And we learned... Uh, as we go Mm -hmm. (laughs) all -hmm. these skills
0: this makes total sense because if the research that you're doing somehow stays in the academic Mm -hmm. uh, environment the impact is in a way limited I mean it's Mm -hmm. out there but it's waiting for someone maybe an entrepreneur or a corporation to pick it up and then to uh, commercialize it Mm -hmm. but you dare to go on this path yourself
1: I went myself, but also with other people who are more operationally involved on a day-to-day basis, like DeepCode, for instance, we, mm-hmm. me and It who was my PhD student, founded it. But we, you know, we, I remember some of the calls, I can tell you very funny stories, you know, we would yeah. have a call with investors, because we're like, you know, we have this amazing product, you know, we have this amazing ideas, blah, blah, blah. and that person's like, yeah, no, that's good. Yeah. Mm. It's like, in 40 minutes went by, and we're like, wait, oh, do you have any questions about our product? Uh, he goes, yeah, I have like, uh, who's the CEO? <laughs> so, then we, and then we were very lucky, smart
0: investors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So
1: you know, at that time, uh, we were very lucky also that you know we had a CEO Boris Pascalev came. He was fantastic. Also, he mm-hmm. bachelors at MIT then twenty years in the business. And you know, together, uh, me, you know, Vasilin as a techn- technology officer, Boris as a chief executive, so me more on the advisory academic role. It was it was really like great. So so. <laughs>
0: So you get funded by private investors. It wasn't part of somehow structure of ETH. Uh,
1: we put how, our. How, own, how do you
0: find funding for oh, a deep tech startup?
1: For well, instance? first of all, we always put our own money down. Oh, you do. Yeah. Okay. We put for a, <laughs> a seed round. Me and Veselin and Boris then uh, put the money down. Okay. So I said, well, we put like some amount, um, good seed round,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I actually didn't have you know much money at the time. I say, well. We'll put it in, and I think you have to, because if you're asking money from people and you believe in the idea, you need to say, oh, I put my own money down, right? I believe mm-hmm. in this. You have so the skin in the game, eh? Yeah, I have skin mm-hmm. in the game. So I put it down, and, uh, and that was that. And then we get investors, like the normal thing, that people do seed sit around seriously and so on.
0: Isn't it a bit... Different to look for funding for a deep tech startup because the incubation period is usually longer or...
1: uh, right. I think this is one of the huge advantages that these uh, you know institutions like the mm-hmm. ETHs or the Stanfords or MITs have uh, the amount of technical knowledge that exists there in a single group like our group is just cannot be cannot be described. it is just massive and uh, and so the incubation period, if you want to call it, has kind of happened on the scientific side already
2: okay. during
1: the PhD of Vaseline or other people who work on this topic. And then when you start a company, you already have like a pretty good idea what you're going to build, what your competitive advantage is. Mm-hmm. Uh, we already know that, uh, and it turned out this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's the, that's the huge, huge value of these institutions, these universities, which are, I think there's a common mistake. They are not really universities per se they're more like institutions. Mm -hmm. They have have academic part, they have startups, they have investors, they have this, they have have so many things. And so when you see them as an ecosystem, then you kind of start understanding what's happening more. Um, So I think the incubation period for deep technology companies happens more during the research phase, which Mm -hmm. is usually in these institutions. And then when you found, you already have like a pretty good idea of the product. And then you- And these
0: institutions, they also remain on your cap table?
1: Uh, that depends. Depends. Yeah. Depends what you license. If you license some IP from there, then uh, yes, they're on your cap table. Mm-hmm. If if you don't, if you just you know have you learn a lot of things then and then you make a company, mm-hmm. then then they then they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but they help you anyway they help you they help you
0: (laughs) to have a great impact on the world they help you I guess that makes sense it's a KPI for them as well right
1: KPI for them for the students like we have a very deep pipeline of students from the universities who are specially trained in the courses that exist there Mm -hmm. you cannot just get like a random student into these companies and then of course when a company grows there is positions for everybody but the bootstrapping period these places are really uniquely situated mm-hmm. properly.
0: <laughs> remember this morning when I was prepping for the conversation that there was this trick mm-hmm. where in your life when you want something to happen mm-hmm. and uh, then you have to put it on a, on a paper, maybe uh-huh. hide the paper somewhere. Right. <laughs> and um, it's uh, somehow, you know, it's like... Uh, um, it's like magic mm-hmm. when you have this idea in your mind and the universe is tr- helping you to, mm-hmm. to achieve that. <laughs> yes. And I was making this association because of the uh, story that you shared before about the Insight Institute. Mm-hmm. that it actually started already with uh, applying at Cambridge and ah, you right. put it on the paper <laughs> there because you were okay, this is what I want to do. Right. <laughs> I guess back then at this point you didn't really have a clear idea of how this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. you traveled the world you've been in these institutions right. you saw how they worked mm-hmm. you collected ideas you saw also what do- doesn't work like, yeah. um, and at some point now we see that this uh, idea became mm-hmm. reality right by the Thanks. way congratulations i think you inspired a lot of people here in the oh, region with this with this achievement although mm-hmm. the Big work becomes. Uh, <laughs> yes. It starts now. <laughs> it starts now. Yes. So, uh, tell me about the structures that uh, you have been observing. The things that uh, you know inspired you sure. to then build the architecture of insight as it right. is as it right. is now.
1: Well, insight is. So, first of all, with the writing, I agree with you. It mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense. I think the the high level, the higher order bit here is that you you get, uh, you declare to the world what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Because this makes, this binds you to this decision. Okay, it's, uh, it uh, makes you
0: accountable for it.
1: You're accountable for it. So you okay. cannot just say, yeah, I'm gonna do this. You have to say, like, I'm going to do that. And even if it fails, you give, it gives you the best chance. You shouldn't be afraid to to fail. You either, you either You either make it or you learn something. Um, so I think that's very important uh, be very explicit about the expectations uh, we were very explicit always with the companies and everything that, that you do, now as far as the structure with Insight, it's, it it kind of has a lot of the good things we hope, from places like um, uh, from Cambridge uh, from uh, IBM Research, what well, I mentioned in New York, from mm-hmm. ETH, from my US experience, in the US I, I've also participated in a lot of the uh, grant programs they're creating the grant programs that professors later apply to. So I have a lot of experience also in the tech world uh, with investors now. Mm-hmm. So it has a lot of these things that are uh, baked in there.
0: It's an amalgam of so many yeah, different ma- models that you have been yeah. observing.
1: okay? But more or less, more or less, it, I think the analogies, and I think it's always good to have analogy, it's going to be like this. Uh, it is similar in, in structure and in operation to a top computer science department like ETHs or MITs or Stanfords. Okay. Because those departments are basically themselves institutions. Mm-hmm. So if you can make something like that, then you'll be good. Uh,
0: Would you say that um, it's the first time that a structure like this has been established here in our region?
1: Yes, for sure. Okay. Nothing like that exists. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so many, so many important pieces in that structure to make it work. Like... Uh, I'll give you an example, at ETH, I think ETH has surpassed Stanford at some point for a number of deep technology companies. But in 10 years there, in our computer science department, I've never heard somebody talk about startups. Uh, so okay. nobody has, it's not in the value system of the place. Okay. So nobody will say, hey, you know, you did fantastic work because you have startup for one billion, so whatever. Uh, people want to, the value of the place is about learning, about teaching, about creating new science. And startups is one of the many ways to have impact.
0: Yeah, because like a place like MIT is a breeding ground for all those startups that we now know who have been. That's a side effect. That's a side
1: effect. Side effect. So it's like
0: a vehicle to commercialize, to have an impact on the world from, okay.
1: It's really more like the the mindset is like, you know, we're going to do great work. We're going to do great science. We're going to build great people. Oh, and by the way, some of them will create startups. Some will go to research labs like IBMs or DeepMinds or whatever, some will become professors. But these are like, one, you know, we we'll make great courses, we we'll make them public. People are thinking about impact. Okay. And that's one thing I learned also in IBM Research when I was working with that person, David Bacon. I remember when I, when I came as a fresh student, PhD student, you know, this, you know, I would work very hard, very, very hard. And people, I saw many people working very hard. And I still remember this guy, he was like always, you know, talking to people. And one time I went to him, he was my mentor, you know, kind of an informal PhD advisor. And I said, hey, David, you know, you know, do you ever work? Like, how do you ever get anything done? Great question. Do I said, how is this possible? And then he goes, look, um, you know, um, many people are working on problem solving their own problem. They're working very hard. I'm thinking what the right problem is. So I'm spending 70 to 80% of my time thinking about the problem. Why should I solve this problem? How should I solve this problem? And I think this kind of thing, this kind of culture is also fundamental to those places. So those people are always thinking about how how which problem? Why should I solve this problem? That's really what the culture is and then they solve it.
0: How was talking to people helping him?
1: Because he exchanges ideas, he bounces ideas, mm-hmm. He say it doesn't, re- doesn't really ring true.
0: There's mm-hmm. no buying,
1: there's no mind share. It's like eh, you know, let's say the best case scenario I solve this problem. Let's say I make this startup. Eh, it's like, okay, you make some money, but this is gonna change things. Okay, it doesn't doesn't ring true. So let's think again.
0: It's actually also something that entrepreneurs themselves can learn from uh, this print, from, from this model. Because I think, especially in the early stages of a startup, of mm-hmm. a company, you really need to be open to others and mm-hmm. exchange about your ideas so that you have a better grasp of, are you really solving a, a problem mm-hmm. of, you know, for a, a big problem, you know, mm-hmm. for a big market? Is it... Um, is it plausible that you're going to solve it this way? Right. And especially when you're a young entrepreneur, maybe a bit immature, you're a bit afraid <laughs> yeah. to ask those questions. Yeah. So it's actually very brave to open up and yeah. to say, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. What do you think? And yeah. people uh, can crush you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, one thing you learn in this place is you're going to get crushed most of the time. Okay. 90% of the things you say are going to be nonsense. And people are going to tell you this is nonsense. This is not going to work. You know to think again. So you need to be prepared for this. Uh, That's that's part of the culture. That makes it hard for some people. But this is why I think fundamentally people who create startups from these places for them it's like a natural. There is nothing really fundamentally new. It's the same process: Mm -hmm. identify pain point, you know, convince people about the idea. Uh, Work class research has all these things baked in already.
0: What about ego in these places?
1: (laughs) yeah, that's that's a major one. (laughs) Yeah, there is is certainly that. Especially when you get, you know, people who have, many of these people you see these places, you know, you look at their career trajectory, they haven't had mistakes since they were like, you know, smoke kids, just stellar throughout. And so definitely there is that involved. But I think uh, that, it really depends on the person. I think the best people are very open. They're very open. They are working very well with other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, for for instance, in my group, things are very flat. Everybody can come in. We can discuss anything. Uh, because ultimately, the fundamental goal is to create people who are better than you. Mm-hmm. And so that's our goal. It's like I want to see somebody who is like 28. He's like much better than when I was when I finished Cambridge. That's the goal. That 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 That's the thing that we want to do. And so the ego is not really... Um, it's not really part of the game for us. Mm-hmm. We, we that we have very clear very clear. I purpose. think
0: you have to come very much in terms with your ego to be in an environment like this
1: mm. that's also something when you join these places, mm-hmm. you know, that's the first shock, you know, you see people who are uh, no matter where you come from there's just gonna be people who are very good at stuff that you're never going to be as good. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so you have to think, what am I good at? What can I, and there's always something that you can be good at, better than, you know, this and not just to be better, but to make, to make your contribution, to make, to make, uh, to be able to work with them. And then you, then you grow in this way. And of course you fill in the holes, you know, you get better in the things you were on. And then you, and then that's how you grow. Um, that's
0: the way to... I'm actually surprised how many parallels I see from the models that we have in the entrepreneurial uh-huh. world and um, from what you're sharing about the academic one, right. which I think for many of us is a bit um, <laughs> <Yes>. fuzzy <laughs> and unfamiliar. Mm. Um, and in a way, now that... Uh, I mean, we've been talking with you even before that, Mm -hmm. that Insight as a project is, it it is also a risky project. It is like a startup. So again, you declare to the world that you're going to do that. Um, You did it very vocally. Mm -hmm. Now it's uh, not only written somewhere in a paper in (laughs) your drawer, but it's uh, in the newspapers and it's in the news and everywhere. So I guess you will be held very accountable for what (laughs) follows now. Um, tell me about the risk that you're taking and how do you deal with that and which are the major challenges that you see in front of you Mm -hmm. now that it's been established, it's there. You got the support from the government. You got the support from so many entrepreneurs who Mm -hmm. believed in the idea, Mm -hmm. although you actually didn't know them. I'm sorry, um, I'm going back to the question, but that was a surprise moment for me that, you know, Martin Vechev, you know, this artificial intelligence guy, computer science guy from right. ETH yeah. is coming now here and he wants to do that. And right. I guess you knew a lot of people in Bulgaria mm-hmm. before because you were always culturally right. connected. But mm-hmm. I wouldn't say necessarily that you had this, you right. know, big network. Yeah. And then you come here and then you talk to four governments <laughs> and yeah. you talk to entrepreneurs. Um, you had a meeting with... Um, the founders of SiteGround Mm -hmm. and you convinced them (laughs) of something which at this point was probably not even on paper (laughs) it was more or less in your head Mm
1: -hmm.
0: oh how did you convince them
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's it's actually you know I think that I don't have to do much because um, again by analogy you know, you look at MIT, you look at ETH, you look at Stanford, you look at those, you look at Technion in Israel, you look at those places, and you ask yourself, do you want to have something like that here in Eastern Europe, in Sofia? Because there's nothing like it, uh, not even close, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, and people say, yeah, I know, they the intelligent people, they're smart people, they're familiar with the landscape. So, you oh, this is amazing, we want to have something like that. Well, Insight, the goal of Insight is to be something like this. Mm-hmm. So, would you like to help this cause? And they are, they said yes. I want to help this course.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, of course, it's it's more than that because uh, by the time I met them, I had already, uh, I had already, um, we had already worked on it for a few years, like with the ratification, with the governments, with the commitment from the government, the hundred million dollars, mm-hmm. uh, from the big tech outside. So there was already a lot of basis. It was not just, hey, you know, it is a here's a high level idea. There were, a lot of work had been done. Okay. And you know, probably also they see in me somebody who knows what they're talking about,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, you know. Um, so
0: you something. identified again um, an important problem, <laughs> a pain point. <laughs> <The> pain point. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so what comes now in front of you? What what comes ahead? Mm-hmm. What are the challenges that you're supposed to face with uh, insights mm-hmm. and you still continue to be a professor at ETH yeah. so you have to mix the two yeah is right, yeah.
1: yeah. the I think the main challenge for this Institute all these top places is people can you hire amazing people who can work in this too so mm-hmm. everything you see Google deep mind ground the funding the money the the, 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 the commitment for 10 years that all this stuff these are all like implementation details to be able to tell the person, hey, you know, look what we have here. Mm-hmm. At the end, you need to hire the best people. And this is the biggest challenge. Uh, it may come down not just to the institute. They may say, hey, you know, I don't like healthcare in Sofia, or I don't like something, right? Oh, I really like something else, right? So, so getting those people, I think, is the biggest challenge. Now, of course, there is a sub-challenges like... Um, uh, the laws in Bulgaria may not be, you know, ideal for academic promotions. How academics work and so on okay. and so forth. Um, how the money are spent, which the government gives, you know, many mm-hmm. of them can be spent for salaries and rent and places, but some require like public, what you call it, called? like um, public procurement, right? Yes. Which may be slow. So that's why you need actually the investor money so that we can spend okay. quickly. So you need this. So These places fast. move very fast. I think that's the other thing that. Uh, you know, if, if you look at a startup, uh, uh, a startup, even the best startups don't move faster than these places. Like the speed at which they operate, you know, these academic top institutions is very fast, which mm-hmm. is very very fast, and they're like startups basically internally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this speed, the speed is very important. It's not enough just to hire one. Two, think the speed has to be high. So can you get the speed to get the top people? That's the biggest challenge always, Mm -hmm. whether we'll be able to attract, and everything we did, the commitment, the money, the entrepreneurs, the funding, uh, the ETH-EPFL partnership, the future partnerships, they're all done with the purpose to create better conditions for really good people to come. Mm -hmm. PhD students, master students, you know, professors or Mm -hmm. researchers, that's it.
0: Because of the massive brain drain that we Mm. had in the region, and it's not just Bulgaria, it's Romania and and Greece Mm -hmm. and everywhere everywhere. We've been speaking a lot about right. bringing back those uh-huh. people. Uh-huh. And I think we focus a lot of initiatives there on this one. But when you do initiatives like Insight right. or, you know, um, world-class innovation, you actually need to attract the brightest minds from anywhere in the world, regardless yes. <laughs> of their background. Right. And actually, the more diversity you have, the the better, because right. um, then you have this... Uh, really amazing teamwork. Mm-hmm. Have you had the first conversations with people who are, let's say, not Bulgarians, not Romanians who might be interested in uh, joining Insight? And yes. Is it difficult to convince them to move mm-hmm. to a place like Sofia?
1: <laughs> it's definitely, I mean, this hiring in this computer science AI space at the level of uh, you know researchers or PhDs you know the top ones it's it's really probably the most competitive market in the world because okay. because those those people you know if, if you look at something like the mits or eths uh again a professor there is almost like an institution there's so many connections so many students so many things happening so you know put 40 of them together this is a you know this is this is just you're bringing like a massive ecosystem you know mm-hmm. so hiring there is very challenging i've already had conversations we informally, uh, and there is some interest, and I'm hoping that one we'll announce some of them some.
0: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> looking forward to the yes. news. <laughs> very very exciting. Yes, very exciting. Yes, very exciting. You still have, um, so you're still a, a full time. How how is it called? Full time professor? No, full professor. You're full professor at ETH. Yeah, e- you're, yes, professor yeah. at ETH. Mm-hmm. you're running this um, actually quite a um, mm, impressive startup called Insight <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <clears throat> you have a family and two kids how do you manage so many um, how to put it how do you manage all this uh, work around you This, I mean it's probably also fun for you to be in this environment to mm-hmm. work fast to um, be challenged all the time. But what is your life hack? I mean, how do you sustain <laughs> the energy and the the mental power to to manage all, right.
1: all that? Well, you know, seeing like, um, you know, the kind of family I grew up in, uh, we haven't discussed this, but, uh, uh, you know, my mother, my uncles, you know, grandparents, they, they work very hard. Um, and... Uh, one of the things that I was taught as a kid is that you don't really have a lot of time for impact. You have finite energy, you need to move very quickly because time is over, you know, and then mm-hmm. then you have very little time. So I'm always living under this uh, motto. I, we don't have a lot of time, we have one life, we have very little time, you have to move really fast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, you know, it's kinda of like the slogan of Facebook at some points so move fast and break things. Uh, I don't <laughs> wanna say break things, hopefully we don't break anything. But like you know, you got you gotta move you gotta move fast. And, uh, and there's no choice, you have to do it. Um, Isn't
0: that a lot of pressure to live in a const- with this constant feeling that you're running out of time? No,
1: no, I think it's, I think if the expectations you have of yourself are higher than anybody else's, then there is no pressure. Okay. So mm-hmm. I, I don't feel any pressure
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, from anybody. Uh, and uh, I, uh, you know, I, but still one thing it's important is that I'm not doing this myself. Uh, uh, everything myself there's Mm. a lot of people who are behind this there's hundreds of people who have helped inside um, whose names are not even public Mm -hmm. Uh, in the government in the prior governments you know hundreds of hours even now you know many many people are helping lawyers you know legal experts academic experts many people externally ministers vice many people have helped and even now you know we have a team we have building an administrative team we have an wow. executive director so it's great so many people are already doing a lot of work so, so it's
0: already some kind of like an ecosystem endeavor yeah it's starting
1: yeah. it's kind of yeah. like building up oh there is there is. you know if you list the people who have helped the inside these are hundreds of people mm-hmm. uh, whose names are not even public yeah. they know I think at some point they will be <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: but I'm not doing this myself you cannot you cannot do anything here. only yourself mm-hmm. you always have to work with people,
0: with <laughs> people. true <laughs> true I know that you practice judo uh, together with your kids, right? They
1: also practice. We don't practice together, but
0: (laughs) well, not against each (laughs) other, (laughs) but you go to the same. How is it called judo place? Shun judo club. Shun judo club. Club. Is this a way for you to um, a life hack?
1: you? Yeah, too. judo is definitely part of my lifestyle. Uh, I'm, that's one of the things I wish I had more time for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also did uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I did for a few years, quite a few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I but think then, you know, Georgi, none
0: of my co-hosts will be very happy to uh, hear yeah.
1: that. <laughs> I, th- I think these are fantastic sports. You know, um, both of them. Uh, judo is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a lot of friends from it. Both my kids do it. Uh, but that's really, you know, those kind of sports really allow me to disconnect. Mm-hmm. I just can disconnect from all these things otherwise you know, intensely disconnect so, so can, it
0: is possible for you to disconnect I
1: definitely <laughs> like I disconnect this way so if I don't do it for some period I, I get very tense so I, I like to do it so just I disconnect so I can look at the problem from a different from a different direction
0: mm-hmm. and these plans that you have for the rest of the little time that you mm-hmm. have here on earth
1: yeah.
0: how big they are?
1: the rest of the plans mm-hmm.
0: do you have them in your head somewhere i don't
1: i don't you know they 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 i think many people make these plans of the future but i think is, is what i said one time it's like einstein said i think i don't think of the future it comes soon enough <laughs> okay <laughs> so i just wanna i just want now insight to to be great to 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 take place to see the really strong students there to the really strong faculty not for myself because for me um you know if i want to do work class research to optimize world-class research i can i don't need insight um or work class startups this is all optimized the dth i can do that but insight is like a mission i think for for beyond the startup it's really for the country for bulgarian i think for the region so i really want this to succeed i think this is the this is the main thing
0: it is a project which is of long-term impact and mm-hmm. it hope it will even outlive you and me. Uh, Hopefully, yeah, uh, definitely. (laughs) So I guess my question would be, in your life, do you envision the moment when you, I don't know, look at it and say, okay, I made it, or it is successful. How do you envision the moment of uh, of success, of insight, and how does it look like?
1: Oh, it's very clear from the beginning. I mean, this is the, as I said, it has to be analogous to those places, these top places, how see, would you
0: know that
1: it, it's it's there? It's, you know, it's, it's, that's, you know, this, if you look at, uh, of course, there's all kinds of procedures, you know, yeah. results. Of course, there's metrics, you can measure of, how many results, oh, all exactly. these kind of things you have. Yeah. But there is a magic around those places, which goes beyond the metrics. What this guy told you about the problems, how you, how you, what kind of problems you work on. There's mm-hmm. something beyond metrics, which, there's a word in the US which is called mindshare, which I haven't seen used mm-hmm. in Bulgaria or even in the entrepreneurial circles. Of And this mindshare business goes beyond money, beyond anything. It's like, if you look at something like big projects, uh, maybe like, let's say self-driving car or like robotics, some some robot doing something, something that's done for the first time, this generates a lot of mindshare, it's done for the first time. And so I am thinking about it in this way, like insight. um, You know, when you look at insight, it's kind of like a nice painting. You say, hey, is this a good painting or not? And people say, yeah, no, this is a great painting, but you can't explain why it's a great painting. Mm-hmm. You know, beyond the met- uh, beyond the metrics, it's like, oh, you know, the colors are used in this balance and all that is sure. So there is, of course, the objective measures. You know, what kind of scientists, how how high is it's up the ranking, how many students, how many papers, how many startups, this and that. And this is this is good. This is very good for the for for being very good, but mm-hmm. it's not enough for for the high-end and for the high-end you need this magic and I hope that when I look at inside one day and say
0: you Would feel the magic. Yeah, I know,
1: this is like when people enter You know when we were at IBM research when people would enter they said you guys are having so much fun We can't believe anything gets done here, even though there was like so many things coming out So you you, you feel the magic, mm-hmm. you know, and you want to enter and say, yeah, I want to be here That's what you want to feel. Okay
0: <laughs> I love your idea. Yeah. Um We have this question that we ask at the end to our guests and I'm curious about your answer. Mm -hmm. So you have taken this Herculean task to build a a research center which, as I said, I hope it will outlive all of us and it will have a (laughs) a major impact on on our societies here in the region. Is this what you want to be remembered for or what is it that you want to be remembered for?
1: I think insight is just, you know, all these things we've done. Uh, uh, the success that you have, is, it doesn't really belong to you. It belongs to other people, there's nothing really that we own per se. For me, the main thing is helping people. Like, mm. You know, when it's said and done, I say, you know, uh, you know, I work with this guy and he made me better. Okay. That's it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I guess building uh, an academic uh, and educational institution is exactly putting you in the, in the right position. Right, committed. academic
1: institutions, but also I'm working on other projects mm-hmm. uh, which are not in academia, which I'm excited about, also in the area of sports and uh, wow. you know, music. So I'm, I'm um, very excited about many things, not just about academia, and research and startups. And I think a lot of the structuring experience and how it works in this high tech and so on can be transferred. I think a lot of the entrepreneurs can transfer their knowledge and, and entrepreneurship spirit and and ability to structure things, and drive things, and so on, into other areas. Not just for a startup, but, you know, helping other people structure structure their life and their endeavors.
0: Mm-hmm. Marty, thank you really much for this conversation. It's been very inciting, insightful for me to look in a bit inside your brain. <laughs> <laughs> because I know this public figure of yours, what? but uh, you know, knowing your path, knowing how you started, I guess you you have some special talents, but after all, you also have this very normal background, like <laughs> yes. um, all of us. And then seeing what kind of magic you can do with uh, the background that you have is very, very inspirational. So thank you for this thank conversation. You very much
1: for your time, yes.
0: hmm. In the next episode of the Recursive Podcast, we welcome the community builder and co founder of
2: Founderhood, Dimitris Dimousiaris. I believe exactly the opposite. <laughs> okay, good that you know in a very uh, big ecosystem which is very mature, the best will stand out. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, in a very mature system or when you don't have the market uh, here in Greece, the market is mostly funded by the government, by the European Union and stuff like that. So you don't have a lot of market conditions uh, like in a normal market. So you cannot get the best feedback in a lot of things. Uh, of how to build your product, how to develop it, and you have a lot of obstacles also. When we had, for example, um, not, don't get it even to the company level, when you get it into the organization level, when we're building Mindspace, for example, uh, which is, okay, uh, a student organization inside a university, and the university should support it, for example, something like that. We had exactly the opposite. The whole university pretty much fighting. Uh, there you have the left uh, students who fight. And if
0: you are just as passionate about innovation as we are, hit subscribe for the Recursive podcast on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. We're everywhere.